Welcome to the Awe and Wonder podcast. We're really excited for this new series on cultural responsiveness. I'm Sarah Kinsella. I'm Brenda Del Monte. And today we're joined by Toy and Cece. I'm super excited. This is a family that I worked with and their daughter is someone who I met when she was two and we got her a communication device, I gaze, that's how smart this chica is. And she's three now. And we have had some amazing conversations about this topic and I have appreciated your openness. And as we got thinking about putting together the cultural responsiveness series, I was like, I hope, hope, hope that you guys are willing to be as candid with our audience as you have been with me, because it's been such a joy to get to know you both and your family and to hear your story. And it, it changed the way that I look at things, I think, for the better. So I'm hopeful that that's the result of this conversation. Tell us a little bit about your family dynamic. So we are a same-sex couple. We have Two children, one who has special needs, our daughter Tia and our son Kai. Uh, our daughter is three, our son is 11. And we, my daughter started having seizures at two, um, which caused some developmental delays as well. Yeah, two months. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, two months. <laughs> so it was a very traumatic time for me because... With seizures, the type of seizure that she has, um, she doesn't stop like a typical seizure. Most people will stop in anywhere from three to five minutes. So they will normally wait. Um, when you call 911, you expect them to come to your house and fix it. If you call for help, you expect someone to fix it. They came, she was seizing. Since we didn't know this was her first seizure, that they had to be timed they waited. So when they got there, I thought I was going to feel relieved, but everyone just stood around staring at me. Wow. So I totally panicked. My wife was there. She came home because I called her. Um, the paramedics was there. My mother-in-law was there, but everyone was staring. But like everyone was staring at me. I'm just holding my baby and she's actively seizing. Right. And you don't know what you to do. Right. This yeah. is my first experience with a seizure, let alone my my two-month-old. Right. <laughs> so I'm like really freaking out. And she's, like I said, just going. And it had progressed from like a little tick to like full-blown ticking. They gave her some medication. It didn't do anything. And they gave her um, Versed. And they had gave her at least two or three doses of Versed. And this went on, my daughter sees for about two hours. So that was our first experience. Okay. Well, the first experience too, though, when we, when she actually got to the hospital, that was, I don't think that went well either. It was COVID. Only one of us could go. Oh, only one of us could go. And then um, they kind of were just, oh, she has epilepsy. Give her this medication. Bring her back in six months. Yeah. So once yeah. everything happened, it was, they gave us. They told me that she has epilepsy, that it, she could only take this one medication. They gave me phenobarbital in the liquid form, and there's no diet. There's nothing else we can do, but just give her this medicine. Yeah. And 
Oh, I had videotaped something else while I was at the hospital. And I'm like, is this a seizure? Because this is, of course, the first time. And she did something different while we were in the hospital. They were like, nope, she only has that one kind of seizure. That's the only kind of seizure there is. Nothing else. Here you go. Come back in like three to four months, I think is what they told me. Just very, no, you don't know what you're looking at. You don't know what you're talking about. Just go. Your baby's fine. Give her this medicine. And in your experience, um, do you think that that's how they handle all people with all seizures? No, not at no. all. Tell me why. We have, uh, there's a lot of different factors. Number one, I mean, we look a little bit younger than what people think we are. That's number one. We look younger then. I mean, we look <laughs> younger then too. Now, I don't know, but we we look a lot younger and they tend to treat younger people as if they don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and that it's only one person going to the hospital at the time. And not to mention, I mean, she had just had her two months ago and anybody who's had a baby knows your hormones are all over the place. You're not thinking clearly. And it's kind of like a, a bullying situation. It's, this is what it is. Don't ask any questions. She's still alive. So you're fine. Go home. Mm-hmm. And, it was very dismissive. It was, and yeah. you don't have a partner there to kind of help you filter what you're hearing and and they were very very brutal I mean no consideration at all when talking to us and that and that not only happened at that hospital but it it happened for a while where we had to learn how to be like okay you know watch how you're talking to us because you coming in the room just saying you know she's gonna die in a couple weeks or she's gonna die in a month and there's nothing you can really do about it but there there was tons of things they sent her home that first time and at the time we didn't know but she was having like 50 60 seizures a day and she was turning purple and we were like what like what are we supposed to do and I think we made an appointment um at Phoenix Children's and before we could even make it to the first appointment we ended up at the hospital with her again so we never really got to see a neurologist before we ended up in intensive care with her and finally I think that might have been our fourth or fifth time the doctor we had made an appointment with had finally come in and they were just, it was, it was rough. When they sent you home that first time, when she was two months old, yeah. right? did they give you resources and say, like, nothing. so nothing. apparently you're supposed to have like a rescue plan. You're supposed to have like rescue meds. None of that. They gave me a bottle of phenobarbital, told us that what she had to take it. She, they, they told us once a day. Um, they really did no research at no. that hospital on her at all. It was and more so they stopped the seizure, go home, figure it out. You just felt very dismissed. There was no, do you have any questions? There was no opportunity. Well, like I said, when I proposed that question, it was more so like, they didn't even want to really look at the video. Like, no, she, she had that one kind of seizure. That's it. Yeah. And lo and behold, there is a diet there is rescue meds there is a certain procedure there uh there are all kind of resources they gave me no resources it was like oh so she had her shots oh okay because she had had her shots maybe a week before mm-hmm. or something like that yeah and they're like oh okay well she just has epilepsy here's this and i was like well can, can you at least look at this is this because just now she just did this funny thing 
Mm -hmm. when you guys were outside of the room, like, are you sure this isn't something? No. Okay. It was very much as I was treated like a child and that I didn't know what I was talking about. I just needed to leave them alone. Like they had other things to do. I was of no importance. I didn't necessarily go to the doctor that often. So I didn't know what questions to ask. And this was like a whole new experience all at once. And I'm so used to being with my partner. She's slightly older than me. That's me. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so used <laughs> to being with Soy. And we had always been to COVID. Like we said, it could only be one person. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I went and I don't think I had, we hadn't gone to the emergency room for Kai even. No. So right. your older son, you, you have experience having a child, but not this experience. Yes. So it was just a whole shock about everything. And the first time I was very fish out of water. We we realized we had to learn and learn quickly. Yeah. And eventually we did. And yes, I do feel like our race played a big part of it. Um, we've had the fire department come and get so sick of coming to save my daughter's life. Like he had other places to be that he basically told me to shut up and he was a white male and wow. what can I really say to him? Because I have to, we have to be, we have to speak up for our child, but we can't speak up too much because then we are the angry black women or we're just belligerent. Mm -hmm. They don't want to help us for that. So it's like, do I speak up and say something? Because they are the only ones who have the resources to give my daughter what she needed at that time, we weren't allowed certain types of drugs to give to my daughter that she requires. Why? Uh, just because you, I guess you have to be trained or they just don't, doctors don't feel like that's something that we should administer. Okay. Why do you think of that? A lot of it had to do with um, them getting to know her. We didn't know her enough to give her certain things. Uh -huh. We didn't know how she would respond to certain things. Well, her protocol is also yeah, very different. Yeah, her protocol is different now. But back then, when that happened, we had to see what would happen if, I mean, because her, her, she gets a shot of ketamine at home that we give to her now. And they don't, I mean, they, they don't just give out ketamine to anybody. It doesn't matter. Now, that part doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You have to have a reason to have it. And are we going to, I, I think that, I think that their, their, their primary worry was, are we going to overdose her? Because she takes diazepam, phenobarbital, and then ketamine. So it's right. like, the, do the we, right, do we give these parents access to all these drugs and then we're going to be held responsible? I think that's so, the drug part. To, to get the drugs that you need is to have a homebound, a home-based nurse. And so that is a service that is an option for you, but it does mean that someone's going to be in your home all the time. And did you guys try that? And how did that go? And yeah. tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, having somebody come into your home, is, it's intrusive, first of all. And right. then we have another another child to think about and right. interviewing nurses 
was very difficult. Um, we had a couple of nurses come in and one of them was like, you know, I don't watch other kids. Don't ask me to look at your other kid. And I'm like, well, geez, if my son falls and hits his head, you're telling me you're not going to help him. Okay, that's fine. And right. then we ended up going with a, a lady who she she was a white woman and she was a little older. She had seen a lot. And, you know, I'm like, well, I mean, it shouldn't matter like that. She's white. If she's going to help her and she's been in these situations, then let's give her <laughs> like a try. Experience. Yeah. Right. But culturally, people do things different ways. And if you're not aware of that or you're not thinking about it, I mean, like this lady stuck her hand in my daughter's mouth without a glove and that's, don't do that. Don't, don't yeah. do that. After she was just eating herself. Yeah. I mean, like some Ooh. habits were, I was like, oh yeah, that didn't work. And we did, we hired a, a, a black nurse. The problem with that is culturally, we were raised to respect our elders. And this lady was a good, oh, well, she might have been a good 20 years older than us. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really let her do anything. Oh, okay. And not only that, she would like fall asleep. She was older. Uh, yeah. And so I was <laughs> so like, when you oh. say, yeah, sorry, Toy. When you say okay. raised to respect your elders, as in you would do things for them to help them, right? So they didn't have to. Right. I mean, like if she's like up there towards my grandma's age, I mean, I'm not going to let her pick up something heavy. That job requires some heavy lifting. And, and the right. Yeah. Right. So, I remember you saying that you were stressed out, though, when you had had to call 911. Like you felt like, how much time do we have to, one of you is going to attend to your seizing daughter and the other one's going to clean the house because you yeah. didn't want, you felt like, Anyone coming in was going to be judging the, you know, the, the, am, are we fit mothers? Is that, right. is that a, an accurate recap of that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you have anybody come into your home as a, as a black person, I mean, we're always judged on a different level and people say they don't do it, but they do. They look at things differently when they come into your house. It can be from the way you, you talk. Or if her toys aren't wiped off the way somebody feels like they should be wiped off. And mm -hmm. even even her, I mean, like, I make sure her hair is combed before people come over. And mm -hmm. if it's not, I will lose my mind because she's on the floor a lot. And somebody could easily say, well, her hair is matted. They're not taking care of her. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I know her hair is not matted, but that's the way that it looks. That's what mm -hmm. the appearance is. And to have somebody come in and make those kind of judgments about you when healthcare workers come into your home, they hold all the power. They can literally call CPS for anything. anything. If I tell her something and I say, no, 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 don't do that. And they don't like how I said that. They can right. call and say that I'm being abusive to her because I told her don't do that. And she's handicapped. Or combing mm. her hair. Or combing her hair because I have, to, I have to hold her to comb her hair, but her yeah. hair needs to be combed. If I don't comb her hair and she ends up going to the hospital and the hospital's like, well, why is she not together? Like, why does right. this look like this? They can call. Right. So it's right. always a, a sensitive area, especially for me, 
I I don't I don't like the fire department to come in my house if we have toys everywhere because who's to say that they're going to be like, well, this is an unsafe environment for her. What if she hits her head on one of these toys? And then I'm like, well, I mean, it's her toy. Like, it right. can't be on the floor. But you do have people who are racist and they yeah. they hide it. I mean, you know, I read an article about them hurting little black kids because they're shoving needles in them and they're doing it the wrong way. I've seen the fire department stab her in her leg. And With I no mean, regard. I want to lose my mind because that's not the way you give a shot. I know how to give mm. a shot. Yeah. So yeah. why are you sticking her like that? And they don't. They don't care. And I can't, I can say something, but I have to be really mindful of how I say it because I can be really taken as the aggressor. And then when I get upset, it goes, everything goes left. And it's like, right. I have every right to be upset. Right, right, right. I, mean, I feel like I do. No, you do. It's just like with the whole fire department thing. Yeah. There were several people in our house. Yeah. However, the only one who could speak up was another man was another white, white male because there yeah. was a hispanic guy who works for the fire department who comes to our house often there were other people there but people of color we all knew that it couldn't be us like as much as my wife would want to stand up for me she couldn't no there was nothing that we could physically do we were at his he he was the captain so right it was his call mm -hmm. so honestly just it's it sounds exhausting just that mm -hmm. these are these are the things that you're dealing with constantly and you know like you said joy that there are people who are racist and there's people who don't think they're racist right but are making these judgments like you guys said so thinking about this all these people in your house or you know even just brenda in your house right some people coming to your house to help your your daughter your kids are there things that that have gone well, you know what I mean? Like in that situation or what are some things that could change this? It would take, like they say, it takes a village to raise mm -hmm. a kid. It takes a whole community to recognize certain things. And like that other captain that was there, mm -hmm. he knew what the other guy was doing wasn't right. And he, he did as he should have done. He said, wait a minute, you you need to calm down. He, oh, okay. And he looked at us and he asked us, he said, what's going on? Like, how do you guys know she's still seizing? I mean, he was genuinely, he genuinely cared. And yeah. that's what it's going to take. It's going to take for other people to care for things to fall in line because, and acknowledge the fact that it does happen yeah. because you get some people who won't even acknowledge it. I didn't see that, but right. you did see it, you know? Right. And when they, when they start to care, it makes it makes a world of difference. We have people at the hospital when we go to Phoenix Children's, they know her, they care. They're like, mm -hmm. I remember Tia when she was four months old. No, mm -hmm. you listen to their parents. So now that okay. we've we've built this rapport with the hospital and the fire many community. Yeah, you have to build a community. And if mm -hmm. you don't know the right avenues to take, then your baby will die. That's the bottom line. I mean, that's how serious it is for us. Yeah. I don't know if everybody's like that, but. So it's caring, but it's also, it's, it's giving you guys space to talk and have opinions too, and to give you the space 
And, and, and not be so defensive. I mean, if I'm asking you a question, it's not because I think I know more than you. It's right. because I'm trying to figure out how to save my baby's life. It has right. nothing to do with you. Take self out of it and, mm-hmm. co- you know, think about it from a parent's perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've had, I've actually told the fire department that, like, I'm not trying to step on your toes. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. need to know what what your protocol is so i can come up with something to help her because we did it where we stopped calling the fire department they had made me so mad that i was like you know what i'll take my baby to the hospital myself not just mad but uncomfortable like is he going to retaliate again is he going to get mad again and not want to take my baby to the point where we were driving our own baby to the hospital we were performing cpr on her like and you're in this distress mode like it is so much going on your emotions are are heightened on top of that i have postpartum Mm -hmm. so it's just a lot going on and Mm -hmm. it's COVID, and we have a whole nother kid so it's like we we didn't have our own family support system here because of covid right so it was just us it was the perfect storm for sure you know early intervention in most states if not all is is in home. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, One of them is because it's hard actually to get Tia up and out of the house into a clinic for therapy services, right? And so there are there, I think that there were some best intentions behind making birth to three home-based because they don't want, they want to keep their child in their natural environment and they want to be training parents on how to best, you know, move their child through developmental stages. Do you think that um, the in-home services are, is a service delivery model that makes people of color uncomfortable? Yes, it does. We're, we're taught um, at a young age, you don't let everybody in your house. Everybody does not have the best intentions. You have to get a feel for people and see how they, how they are. And and two, for us, taking some of that responsibility is sometimes you have to let things go. There's a mm-hmm. lot of things that I don't like, but if somebody's going to come in here and help her, mm-hmm. then I have to put all those things aside to let them help her because she needs the help. Like, mm-hmm. so you, you kind of have to have that balance of what does my baby need versus what I'm comfortable with. And I've done, I've uh, taken her to in clinic. And I'm not comfortable with in clinic either because <laughs> you have all these kids and every time she's gotten sick, she's ended up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what, what choices do I have to make here? It's best that somebody comes to the house for her and I let, I just let them in. If that mm-hmm. requires me cleaning up every day and combing her hair every day and getting her dressed every day, then that's what we're going to have to do. But mm-hmm. it, it really, it's, what does your child need in the end? So, mm-hmm. right, yeah, I I just feel like I feel like in home services. Oh, you gotta you you do still have to be careful too because there's some some therapy people who come in your house and they are not as what do you say um, hygienic as you would like them mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot. I see a lot of people they'll walk in your house with their shoes on. I don't like shoes on in my house. She rolls right. on the carpet. It, your shoes are nasty. 
You step in all kind of stuff outside. Step on the mat. Or they'll step on her mat. I've taken her to mm-hmm. in, 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 in clinic places and we've brought our own wipes to clean the mats and people will come from another room and, and walk, walk on it on the mat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like I almost have a heart attack because once again, her immune system is not all the way developed and you don't know how critical she is just because she's moving around and she's acting like she's okay. Doesn't mean that she's okay. Right. Right. So, I do think that's something simple that a home-based therapist can get used to doing is saying, would you like me to take my shoes off? That's something that I think anybody and everybody can do for kids that are, that are on the ground a lot, which is every toddler, regardless of disability. And then if they aren't able to crawl or, you know, pull themselves off the floor, then even more so. But that seems like a, that's, that seems like a no brainer that, that we could all be like, would you like me to take my shoes off? Every time we go into someone's house, because it just, it, that's, that's something that doesn't need to be a barrier. It can, it just is a normal, um, normal responsiveness of, to go into someone's home is permission to, you know, where can I be? Where do you want me? we we say that too. We say, we have some questions for you. And then we want to work with her. Where would you like to do this? Like, I'm not walking in your home and assuming that you want me on the floor with her or or on, on the couch or at the kitchen table, like you tell me where you want me. And I do recognize that, um, we are specialists in our areas. That's why we're coming. Right. Right. But but the other thing is, is acknowledging that you are specialists in Tia, you are specialists in your daughter. And I have this one little piece, right? I'm a communication specialist. So I have this one little expertise, but that's only a small part of her and her skills and her abilities. So you, um, I think when we talk about the firefighters and stuff, it's like the one that finally said, well, what do you, why do you guys think this is a seizure? Like they're stopping to go, you know her better. Uh, This is the first time I laid my eyes on this person, or this is the third time. Either way, they don't, they're not the expert on her. You have people though, who are in their field for so long that they know it all. Hmm. And I mean, the fire, the fire guy that came, he was another captain and he said that he had taken a class about her. And so he wanted to see. So his questions were like, you know, why do you guys say she's seizing? What does the doctor say? But now we we know better. I know when to tell them, yes, she is. I've told the hospital that they've moved her from one room to the next room. And I was like, she's not done. Mm-hmm. And they just totally ignored what I said. And I'm like, okay, they got in the next room and then her other side started. And I'm mm-hmm. like, had you listened, you could have, you could have cut that down. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I know you guys don't think her brain activity is that important, obviously, but it, it's still happening. She's still seizing. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening mm-hmm. with yeah. her. I Parents- get it. Not with other kids, but with her. Yeah. Parents know yeah. their kids. I feel like seizures are like p- fingerprints, though. Every single child that I see that has seizures, they they look different, they act different, and the parents are so in tune with what that is, with how to keep the environment the way they need stable, so that the seizure doesn't go as long. And yeah. they they also know about the rescue meds. I mean, they they're, they just know um, if I catch it early enough, great. If it's too late, then it's not gonna, like whatever it is. Like every single one of them has a different six different little little nuances that that help their child when they're having seizures and um we have to be listening i mean 
that that seems just like a basic human treatment is to listen to parents with kids <laughs> with disabilities because they are living this life. You are not. No, they don't though. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. So, they don't. Toy and Cece, I'm really curious about by the way, did did Tia just wake up? I saw you guys she, looking at her. She did. <laughs> oh fun. Um well uh I'm really curious about your experience with communication with um Tia what what does she do for communication right now what what kind of system does she have and just a little bit about how you you that process and how that went for you um so at first it was really really hard before we knew she was having seizures or I'm sorry in the very beginning when she, we first found out she was having seizures she used to cry all night we didn't know why she was crying I mean, later on, we figured it out, but she would cry all night. And then after that, she, the bigger she got, she started using her eyes. Her eyes were in her um, micro movement. Oh, yeah. And so mm -hmm. I, I follow the eyes. Carissa follows her micro movement. I do all of it. <laughs> well, so she says, but um, her eyes. And then once we got the communication device, I mean, I, 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 I like the communication device. I don't really like her telling me let's go all the time <laughs> when we go out. Like as soon as we get somewhere, she, the first thing she always goes to is let's go. I, I want to get in the car and I'm like, but we just got here. So I, I, but I think it's great. Like now, now we do communication device. The communication device actually has her more verbal. Mm -hmm. Um, she makes a lot more noise now than mm -hmm. she did. You can get a loud scream out of her, which she wasn't doing before. Um, that's interesting, Toy, because I think some parents they think that maybe if you have a communication device that you're going to become less verbal. So it's it's nice to hear your perspective. Yeah, no, she she definitely started trying to mouth stuff more. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot more. Even I even swear sometimes she's trying to sing to the songs on the TV. Mm -hmm. Um, but she does. She likes the communication device. But I also think too, she's the type of person that if I don't give her what she wants when she wants it, she gets a little upset and she's like, "I'm not going to use that." And I have to tell her, "Tell you know, say it again." Or we will. Carissa makes her say things a couple of times before we respond or not respond to it, but before we actually do it to make sure that's what she meant. She still does a lot of exploring on it, though. Mm -hmm. She's using her eyes. It's an eye gaze system. It's an eye, eye gaze. Yes, ma'am. Uh -huh. And you still follow her eyes without the system, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Her eyes. She does like these little micro smiles for like, yes. Um. Sorry. If she doesn't like something, she, of course, no pushes. She's very responsive. She's trying to get in the camera now. <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to. <laughs> She's like, what do you guys have? Let me see it. <laughs> so was that another situation where you had, you had somebody in your house, right? Now you have another person in your house to figure out communication systems. Oh, yeah. They're, um, I, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but they were the best. They were the best people that have we have ever come in contact with. You can and say I, that here. I kid you not. Like <laughs> I, I wish that even even taking her in clinic for um, speech therapy and stuff, they've never been as helpful as that day. So I that, mean, that's 
Brenda and Melanie. And Melanie, yeah. yeah. That was so, that, that was quite amazing. I what mean, was it? What, what, what was it that you so, think? They were like a breath of fresh air because that was the first time. I feel like that that woke us up Yeah. to there is other possibilities. There are other ways for my baby to communicate, other ways for my baby to learn because so many people And are, let her do it. Let her do it the way she wants to yes. do it. Don't try to okay. make her fit into that little box with everybody else. Yeah. You they were like, like oh. <laughs> we, we well, I'm so this. I'm so intrigued that Toy's saying let her do it because part of let her do it means that you have to wait and it almost looks like <laughs> suffering because you're make you're waiting for her to respond. And Toy's like, I know what she wants. She doesn't have to ask for it. I'm just gonna yeah. give it to her. And I'm like, no, I no, want to give it to her. Make her wait. I know. I hate yeah, to make but... her wait. But oh. now you're on here preaching, let her do it. <laughs> let her do it. I didn't, you know what's funny is now I let her do it. She I plays know. with her tablet and I don't run to her right away to push the button for her. I right. let her do it and she can do it. And I'm yeah. like, okay, you got it, girlfriend. You get it. You get it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she does. She does really good. So yes, they were awesome. And <sighs> I, I, I will, so I will say this one thing that we did that's outside of the realm of the communication device evaluation, but we just do this when our with our kids with complex bodies like hers is like we talk to the parents about how does she play, right? And that is what so many parents, almost all parents of kids with significant physical disabilities, are like: How do I play with my child? And um, so we had a switch activated toy, I think, maybe in yeah, my car yes. or something. Yeah, that sounds like my car. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the other thing is, is we were like, well, you know, she could hit the switch with her head. Like she doesn't have to use her hand. Like that we, was it. What yeah. part of her body does she move independently? And <laughs> I feel like it based on your reactions, that was the first time somebody even asked you guys that question is what can yep. she do independently? What, she, what she, she physically do and what, what is she motivated to do? Does she, you know, does she like music? Does she like vibration? Does she like what, like, I feel like we had a, just a, an honest conversation about base, base stuff. Like how does she play? What does she like? And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but has have other therapists come in with a different agenda or something than than listening to what you guys have to say about how she plays yeah when you guys came in it was more so how can we help you guys continue to develop more how can we make this work for her how can we make communication work which is comfortable for her everyone else was more so you have to push the button with it with her hand. She cannot do this. So it was constantly, she can't do this. She can't do this. And you were, you guys were more so, well, what can she do? Okay, mm -hmm. oh, she can do that. Okay, well, let's try her head. Let's see if she likes that. And she activated the button. And it was like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Like, you guys were okay with getting on the floor. Like, day one, they, they had no problem taking their shoes off. But actually getting on the floor, getting in her space, and mm -hmm. seeing what her world was like before no one ever was like, what is Tia's world like? It's mm. just like, this is this is the standard protocol. We're going to do this. Even though Tia is not standard by any means, everyone from doctors to therapists were all like, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. This is how it needs to be done. You guys need and to do this. In your mind, they're the experts. In your mind, you're like, I'm not going to question it. I'm not a speech pathologist. I'm not a doctor. Or I'm not a right. So you're not even... I mean, nobody has, yeah, I feel like a lot of parents don't feel like they have the freedom to question 
the quote expert in this situation, what you're talking about is coming at, at it from a deficit, what she can't do these things so, or these she can do these things so. It's like strength-based versus deficit-based, right? So if you're looking at what can she do and let's move that forward, that's a completely different approach than these are these are all of her limitations. So I guess we have to do that. Right. You, even if you land at the same spot, it's the way you come at it is is how you get, you know, the buy-in, which is um, which was not hard at all. I mean, as soon as she hit the switch no. and she made the toy go, you guys are like. I knew yeah. my baby was communicating other ways, but Sorry. it felt like no one was Sorry. validating that. And that was not enough. That was not okay. Mm -hmm. and it was constantly people telling me that this is not okay. Something's wrong with your baby. Like something's wrong with you. You're, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. She can't do this. And you guys were more like, Oh no, that's communication. If you see mm -hmm. those, those small, you see this, you see that, that's communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing things and we were responding to her, we not realizing that we, she was communicating with us, but because it was nonverbal right. communication, we were not validating it and not even recognizing that we were anticipating herself because we were reading her body language, her eyes, her mm -hmm. mouth the direction that she moved, the direction that she turned, um, all of those little things. And you guys said, yes, that's right. all communication. You are right. That is a form of communication mm -hmm. and it can be different. Mm -hmm. yeah. and you, oh, go ahead, Joy. No, I was just going to say, yeah, for somebody like myself, who's not really creative, you don't realize that she's communicating without talking. I was so focused on her talking to me and telling me stuff that I didn't even realize that when she wakes up in the morning and she looks at me and then she looks at that TV that she's telling me, I mean, I know she's telling me to turn it on, but it just did, it didn't, it didn't register, register as right. she's telling me, you know, like, yeah, she communicates with me every day, all day long. Yeah. And that must so, have been such an exciting feeling to kind of have that aha, right? Because you knew she had something to say. But yes, you didn't know what that was looking like. So yeah. some of it is validating that that what she is doing is communication, labeling that and calling it what it is. And the other is validating what your gut was telling you was that right. she's telling me this. She's telling me that you weren't calling it communication because it wasn't words, but you're but validating that your gut was right on that. You know, right. that when she does these things, when she smirks. She's got you. She knows exactly what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. We, I'll ask that question. I'll say, do you think she understands what you're saying? And parents will go, oh, yeah. And then I say, how do you know? The follow-up question is the most insightful thing I'm going to get is you're going to go, well, when we say this, she smirks. It's like, oh, because, mm -hmm. you know, that sense of humor piece is a high cognitive skill. Mm -hmm. you know, or when when we when we when we say no, she looks at us before she goes ahead and does it, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. or whatever. Although, believe, trust me, viewers, Toy does not say no. <laughs> I don't. Not really. Right. Unless she's gonna hurt herself, then I'll tell her no. There but we go. It, yeah. No, I, Other I than that, no. It's just an inside joke about tell her no. me telling she's you sometimes you got to. But she's the person. Why? Why would I tell <laughs> her no? <laughs> I think. That, um, when you listen to family, when they say, oh, no, I know she knows what I'm saying. 
instead of going, well, does she follow a one-step direction? Does she follow a two-step direction? Like like the things that we end up, we as speech pathologists are clicking off some checklist, um, we miss the opportunity to go, how do you know? I believe that you, I believe you that she knows what you're saying, but tell me that story because that lets me know how she's communicating and what in what way she's doing that. And it lets me, it lets you realize that that's communication and it lets you um, be heard about this is, these are the nonverbal ways I am communicating with my child and it is communication. And I, I think um, we miss the opportunity sometimes when, when we're in, when we're doing this quick interview, because then we're going to get to the standardized test or the, this or this or that when, without going, and how do you know that? I mean, tell me, tell me, tell me a story about that because the story makes everybody human. That piece of paper where you're checking a box and follow one step directions, it's, there's no humanity in that. Yeah. No, everybody doesn't fit in that. <laughs> everybody doesn't fit in it. And not only does everybody not fit in it, those aren't natural ways that we think this, once again, this was our first time right. with any special needs, like there's nobody really in our family with any special needs right? other than autistic. So, but this was Toy and I's first experience. And then this is with our child. So certain things is just not natural for us to think that way where their box is like, well, does she, what was some of the terms that they would even use were just like, I, I, don't, I don't know. We, we don't look at her like when they came in, it was more so like, let's let's get the baseline let's get to the lay of the land let's find out about you guys about Tia and let's see how we can make this work for all of us we've had a lot of people come in where it's like we have to do this this and this and then I'm out of here as mm -hmm. quickly as I can possibly be I think mm -hmm. they were even there one time where she had a seizure yeah and instead of being like you know well I have stuff to do you know they said you need help do, what do you need from us? Mm -hmm. What can we do? Take your time, do whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like T has a certain time to do this test. Okay, we need to go. It was like yeah. I said, it was a breath of a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And we aren't saying do you need help because we have a great a lot of experience and we know how to help this situation. We're saying do we need help because you know what you know what you need and we don't. We don't you know. You guys were human. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had natural compassion like I feel like you guys yeah everybody doesn't have that you guys made a connection and not everybody makes a connection that we are not just patients and parents we are all people right it's not a if I'm asking you a question it's not a personal attack on you I'm wanting right. to learn right I feel that you're an expert I'm trying to learn if I'm asking should I do this with my child should I do this how about this? I'm asking because I want to learn. I want to be the best parent that I can be, but I need your help because I'm out of my my depth and you're supposed to be the expert. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like, um, and if I'm putting words in your mouth and stop me, if as being a black woman, if you ask questions, you are perceived as being aggressive. Yep. If if I don't ask it in the right tone, I'm aggressive. Okay. If if it's the wrong tone, I can be ignorant. It's like, duh. Like, you don't um, know this already? Mm -hmm. okay. And where was I supposed to learn this? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I, I didn't go to medical school. You guys go to medical school for years and you specialize in that one field. I have to be an expert in all of your fields oh, right. and be a parent at the same time, but also know my place. Right. <laughs> know that I'm not a doctor, but I have to know your job. Right. Like I have to know your job, know your hospital. Like it came to a point where I'm like, okay, I know this is the best IV nurse. This is, I know Banner Hospital only keeps a 3.5 layering scope on the sixth floor. Why don't they have an emergency room? You know, whatever. <laughs> I'm making that up. But it's just like all of these little things. I shouldn't have to know those details. The respiratory therapist, this. You guys know one field, but I have to know them all. And then when I ask you a question, like I said, I have to play this balancing game. What, what type of person am I going to be dealing with today? Are they going to look at me as a child if I'm too muted? Mm -hmm. If I'm too stand up for myself, then I'm aggressive. I'm attacking them. Feels like a tight yeah. warp that you guys are walking. Yes. I have one we question. Also find out which one of us can talk to them. Yeah. Certain, we will only deal with certain people. Like we have to find out which one they work with. And one of them will primarily deal with that person because some people mm -hmm. perceive her as more of okay she's the adult out of the two of us as if we aren't both mm. adults <laughs> and they will talk past me yeah to her mm. even though she's older than me i don't understand <laughs> i'm not older than her <laughs> so and i have a question for you about your families um what what was their with their understanding or their perception of people with disabilities before tia and how has um, Tia changed your family's um, perception of disability? Our families are very, I, I guess you'd want to say tight knit. Mm. They, they, the only, the only thing we ever hear from them now is you guys are doing a fantastic job. <laughs> Don't ever let her go to the hospital by herself. And then it's more of a medical thing. I mean, you know, if you go back into time with Black people, we have to watch our people at the hospital. There's mm -hmm. no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, I don't even know the right way to say that. But mm -hmm. if one person goes, you better believe they're not going to be by themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not. My side of the family is very big on not only me advocating for her, but Carissa, you know, and my, like, like my mother is, if Carissa has to go to the hospital, she only has two, I mean, if Tia has to go to the hospital, my mom only has two concerns. Who's at the hospital with Tia and where's her other grandchild? Mm -hmm. And as soon as she can get on a plane to get out here, to come get that other grandchild so both of us can be at the hospital, that's what she's going to do. I mean, the hospital could have done so many things different, so many. I mean, after her being intubated and her being in, what do they call that? The, in, I'm just going to say intensive care for the little people. Mm -hmm. After her being in there for a week, I mean, there was so many things that they could have told us and said. But luckily, I mean, we had family. Because mm -hmm. our aunts and grandparents, they were on top of it 112%. And it was a phone call every five seconds. Did you guys get oxygen tanks? Did you guys do this? Well, I looked this up online and you need wow. to get her this and you need to do this. And Toy, you better do this. And I'm like, I was bombarded 
with phone calls and people in our families saying, mm-hmm. what do you need me to do? Um, and um, there was there wasn't support from the hospital. We had to literally argue with them about giving her a pulse ox. Mm-hmm. And there shouldn't have been any argument. She turns purple in 5.5 seconds. And you guys want to tell me that because the alarm goes off and some people bring their kid to the hospital and they don't need to, that you don't want to give me one for her? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Like right. no sense at all. Oxygen tanks. We had to argue with them about oxygen tanks. It was a constant yeah. battle. We refused to take her home. We've, yeah, we were determined. We were I like, told them no. I said, I'm not taking this baby home. I can't keep her alive. And you keep telling me she's going to, you know, she's going to die. And then you don't want to give her a G-tube. And I already told you I can't get her medication in her mouth. That doesn't make any sense. We've had to like get to the point where they were going to call CPS on us for advocating for our child. Yeah. And tell us us about that. What does that look like? So we went to a hospital that... I tried to advocate for my daughter. Normally, I am very good at advocating, but there is even racism in our own culture where it's not so much as, I call it racism because you as a Black male or a Black woman cannot show favoritism towards your own race. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or you get in trouble. Because it's more scrutinized. Any favoritism or anything that you do can be looked at as favoritism. Mm So another time she seized for over two hours. It was a black doctor who I'm like, she does not respond to Advan. She does not respond to Versed. She needs a loading dose of phenobarbital. You know, I will give you the other telephone number of this, the, the other hospital, whatever it is that you need. But he sent my baby up to ICU actively seizing and the nurses were like, just, just go. They'll, they'll do it up there. And they were like shocked, but because he was in charge, they did what he did. Mm-hmm. And once she, because she had seized so long, they had to intubate her. And her health just kept getting worse because she's on the keto diet. There are certain things that she is not supposed to have, and that includes drug. People think of the keto diet as the fat keto diet, like, oh, she can't have carbs. Right. No, it's not just carbs. It's what you put on her skin, the type of diaper she uses, the food, the medication, everything. It is very, it's okay. a very intense medical therapy. Mm-hmm. And they weren't willing to listen to that. So her health kept deteriorating. And she was on a ventilator and... They didn't have, she had to have brand medication, all kinds of things like that. And I'm telling the doctor and they're like, no, we don't need to transfer. I'm, I'm like, send her to PCH. They know how to handle her. They're used to this. She needs to go there. And they're like, no, it's night. Or I can't remember what they were. They were trying to say it was night. It was no reason to transfer her. I was I like, well, I remember. you're not. I was, we're going back and forth. My daughter's actively seizing. The nurses at this time are not even coming in. They called a social worker on me. The social worker's in there. At this time, because we're de- debating this, they mm-hmm. stopped giving the daughter care. So she's going in and out. I'm having to like do CPR on my own daughter in the hospital. This should not happen. Mm-hmm. So again, they're not listening to you. and Not listening to me at all. To. Yeah. The social worker came in and I kind of 
it was a black woman. I was able to explain the situation to her, but she had a duty to call. And she's like, I really don't want to do this. And she, the, the doctor was another brown doctor of a different race, but she was of color. And she was like, no, we're not going to do this. No, that doctor, I, I remember this lady because at the time I was on on the phone um, video call and that doctor refused to transfer her to PCH. But we went back and forth with this lady, what, what seemed like forever, but was about 15 minutes or so. And we got to the point to where said, pack her up, pack her up. They don't want to take care of her. We'll take her. We'll transport her ourselves. I got oxygen tanks and stuff. Mm-hmm. I can get her to PCH. From, so yeah, that's what we asked from there. I, I asked her. Try yeah. To be as calm as I possibly could. I asked her, what is it that we needed to get transferred? Mm-hmm. And what is it that the transfer that the hospital does, what do they have that we don't? They right. said that they had oxygen. So we have our own oxygen. I said, why wouldn't you transfer? She was like, because we have everything we need. So we said, okay, we have, that's our meds. This is this. You don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have this. They also refused to talk to PCH too. They mm-hmm. didn't want to talk to they don't have any children. Rights. She said that they don't have any rights at that hospital and didn't want to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And the end result was we ended up driving there. Um, my son and I, we ended up driving there to pick them up. And because, because we were going to take her as wide because we, were call CPS we wanted to take her, they were going to call CPS. And I mean, of course, we were like, I, I don't care. Call you, at mm-hmm. this point. I, I'm livid. Call that, because yeah. you guys are going to kill her. That's what's going to happen. And she was dehydrated. I mean, by the time we got to um, PCH, they couldn't find a vein. They had to go in her neck. And it was just, it was a lot. I mean, I really feel like it just boils down to people don't think people of color have the resources or the know-how or the knowledge because had my daughter had we been white that wouldn't have never happened because they would have said you know what they're probably going to sue us which i technically still can because she's not 18 yet in the state of arizona oh i looked it up Mm -hmm. but you know you have to go back through the records and all that stuff but that's a different story but they feel like you don't have the knowledge the know-how or the resources or the time and they don't care they're just like, I mean, whatever. It's, we don't typically, they because like we don't typically follow through. We don't, yeah, like you said, we don't have the resources or the know-how to, to get mm-hmm. it done. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when, when people feel like that, and I don't know, I mean, it could be, what's that? Um, like where they're just tired of dealing, they could have gotten a family before us and right. they were over, over it before they even made it to us. Oh, that's they what were worried about insurance. Yeah. And how much money I had to cover for the transport and insurance won't cover this and insurance won't cover that. And they didn't ask you if that was going to be a problem or you care about that. Nope. Right. That's they just, just assumed I didn't. There's an assumption yeah. they had and they were right. going on that assumption. Right. It sounds like that assumption is co- common, right? That there's. Yes. Very common. Yeah. We really appreciate just your, your, being open to talk about all of this. And yeah, your candor. Yeah. Yeah, your candor. And we can just see um your heart and your love for Tia and your family. And we just really appreciate it. Um we have to wrap up, but is there anything else you want us to know or any other stories you want to share before we we wrap up? I was just gonna say, you know, a lot of black people do not like people coming in their house touching their kids' hair. That 
mm-hmm. is not you're laughing and I'm so serious. I, I've had I've had to tell a nurse to please stop. Don't do that. Don't right. please don't do that. And she didn't know. I mean, she just she didn't know. She thought mm-hmm. it was okay to do. She didn't ask. But she also, I, I was like, oh, you know, what's the right way for me to say that to her? Because there is a right and a wrong way. I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in there's a time and a place for everything. And there's a right and wrong way to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to get angry with her and be like, you know, don't, don't, don't touch my kid, uh, you know. But I did tell her, I said, you know, for just so you know, it really drives me crazy when you touch her hair. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I am so sorry. And something so simple can right. make the world a difference when you deal with people. That's mm-hmm. all yeah. I was going to say. Yes, right. And and that might be something Tia's thinking too, right? And you're advocating for her too, right? Like, Because she really doesn't like her hair to be touched. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. But that's just, not her love language. It's, <laughs> it's, it's little things like that that make some people feel uncomfortable. And had it been somebody who wasn't comfortable enough to say it to the nurse, they probably would have been like, nah, I don't want her to come back. Just okay. off of something so small, mm-hmm. you know, that could have been fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, that's a, something to think about for parents. Mm-hmm. It's Definitely. It, some people don't mean to offend. They really don't. Their intentions are not to offend you, yeah. you know, or to belittle you. It's just how it came off. And if you speak up about it, then you can change that situation for the better for your kid. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Definitely be open and pause for a moment that if someone built up the courage to ask you something or tell you something or give you that bit of information to let you in like that can open so many more doors because I'm saying okay I'm going to try this with you I'm I'm trusting enough to give you this bit of information about me and my family and how we work I'm trying to build a bond with you if you perceive this well I'll be more inclined to open up about other things about it I'm more inclined to let you in and maybe even other people if you realize that I'm not attacking you I'm just letting you know my love language. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know our family language. Yeah. And there, to embrace you to be a part of it. Clear is kind, right? It's like, that is so true. And I think of that with what you're saying, like being clear about what you need or what you don't want is kind. Totally agree. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> I want to say thank you for doing a podcast yeah. like this. This is fantastic. And, you know, with Brenda, the feeling is mutual. If oh, yeah. I could if I could grab her and hold on to her till Tia is where I need her to be or want her to be, I would. But, okay. you know, I get there's other babies out there that need help, too. But <laughs> if if somebody listening is like, OK, where do I start? What, what's one thing I could do differently that would be impactful? What would you say? I would probably say when when they come in, the question is do you guys have everything you need or do you feel like there's something you're missing? I'm just asking questions because a lot of parents are not thinking clearly when people come into their house, they're, they're all over the place. I have 50 billion things I'm supposed to be doing in one day and keeping her alive is one of them. So had somebody come in and said, you know, I, I've I've dealt with other kids and like, what's her particular condition? I feel like nobody has ever read what's wrong with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I know that sounds crazy, but when I talk to people, 
it's it's like over their head and i'm thinking to myself mm -hmm. i gave you all the information you needed did you read it does anybody right. read anymore you ask for a reason and that's such a simple thing for us to do as therapists yeah. right that's it's, a good place yeah. to start you know, like when when we went to the, the hospital at first, all it would have taken was one person to come in and say, hey, you guys need to have a pulse ox on her. If you're at home and you can't tell if she's breathing in her sleep, just get one. And then, you know, you can talk to the, the social workers at the hospital or what are those people called that come to the room and check on you? The like patient advocate people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't even do that. They mm -hmm. just walk in, look at you, and they're like, okay, I'm going to check this kid out, and then I'm going to walk out. But kids mm -hmm. need so much more because so simple questions. Right. And I, that's nothing, that's something everyone can do is I'm going to start with how are you, what What do you need, you know, and I'm going to listen to the answer. And yeah. and what does this look like for your daughter? Because it yeah. may look different for someone else. And if you know of a resource, tell us. Don't assume that we know or, or that don't we care won't or won't it. use it. I don't just assume. Don't assume that I have no money. Mm, <laughs> right. Just because I'm black or you think I'm young. <laughs> it's interesting. You guys both said, don't assume that we won't use it. Don't assume that yeah. we won't use a resource. And you feel like sometimes yeah. people don't tell you about things because they're like, oh, they're never going to do this anyways. Oh, it takes too much paperwork. You're not going to do that. Or, you don't mm. know what I will do for my child. Right. Okay. You don't know how much money I will spend on my child. There is no, we've bought so many assistive devices that we found on Amazon or just our own resources right. for medication. Like yeah. someone was, oh, well, Kepra is too expensive. Like she has to have brand. Yes. How much is it? I'm asking you how I'm not asking. Right. Well, I, don't care. I don't care how much it is. I'm asking you, how can I get her pills that she needs? Yeah. yeah. Checking her assumptions and, and just saying, hey, I, I don't know these people. So I don't know their resources. I don't know their ability to fill out paperwork. I don't, I'm not going to assume that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you, these are, these are the resources. This is what you could do. I mean, an IGIS device is no joke. It's complicated and there's a lot to learn. And I have, I got to say, I, that's never been like a, well, I don't think we'll do, I guess, because I don't think the family can learn it. I mean, that's never been like a thing. But um, when I, when on a smaller scale is what you're talking about, it was like, I'm not going to tell them about this resource because it's a lot of work or that, that resource because it's far away. I do feel like assuming that explaining a resource is a waste of time is pretty out of bounds as well. I think so. I use resources. It may take me a month or two, but I get it done. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Everyone with a child with disabilities, with complex needs, like like Tia, um, it's going to take them a minute to do anything. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to guess neither of you got more than three hours of sleep last night. Am I right? Uh, she might have gotten less than that. I I think I got three hours, maybe. Yeah. We do. We do take turns though. Cause it's, oh, I know, it's, but you're taking turns every three hours. I mean, this is no one, no one's firing on all cylinders with minimal sleep. And so if it takes you a month to get to a resource, that doesn't mean the resource wasn't worth every, every minute, minute of that uh, exchange, you know? Right. And so. although we may not need that resource at this time. So at the beginning of this, I worked full time, you know, had a great job, once she got sick, I started missing a lot of work. I mm -hmm. had to go down part-time. Our finances changed. Mm -hmm. So purchasing Kepra at one point in time, 
is totally different than purchasing it. Right. Okay. Exactly. Once, once I, my job has been threatened and things like that. So, right. And right. I think a lot of people with children with disabilities cannot afford to have two working full-time parents because the ch- the care of the child requires you know someone to be home all the time. There becomes a financial limitation, but the assumption of that is what is offensive. Yeah, or that we're just angry people. We just maybe didn't get sleep that night, so it's right. not so much as we're attacking you or we think you're coming. It just comes out that way because we're we're tired. Well, Tia, yes. I'll just tell you this. Yeah. I have never seen angry Tia or Cece. So um, I've never seen those sides of you. But so even though I've never seen you on eight hours of sleep, I've never seen you angry. So just know that. I have a way to keep me company. We really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us and being home and awake together with your daughter and making yes. it all happen. And what the viewers don't know is you just moved as well. I will just say that this is a priceless conversation for us and for our listening community. And we are excited to continue to learn more about this topic and to become better human beings. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank it you. makes the world better. Yes. Thank <laughs> you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.